Hey folks, welcome to From the Pew. I'm Lucas Kittleberger, your host, and today we're talking about what the Bible says about mental health. My guest today is a guy named Kirby Reuter. Kirby is a new friend of mine, relatively new. We just connected last year uh, through my dad. Uh, he knows Kirby, my dad knows Kirby through uh, some connections that he has with the Apostolic Christian Church of America. Um, and Kirby attends the Apostolic Christian Church in Bastrop, Texas, I believe. And last year, uh, after my dad connected us, he was in town uh, by me and we met up for coffee. We hit it off pretty well. He's a really interesting guy. Um, and uh, during the, the course of the conversation, we wound up m- meeting a guy uh, who is may possibly be the most interesting man in the world. And so uh, we got talking with this guy, and nonetheless, it, it made for a very memorable experience uh, with my first interaction with Kirby. Um, so Kirby is uh, really, really smart, like way smarter than me. Um, he has his doctorate in psychology, I believe, um, and we talk about a little bit of his uh, his background uh, professionally and academically in the beginning here, so you'll get a piece of that. Um, I always enjoy Kirby's company, so I'm really excited to have him on. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this. Without further ado, please join me in welcoming Kirby Reuter. All right, I'm here with Kirby Reuter. Kirby, thanks for coming on from the pew. I appreciate it. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Lucas. Doing great. How about yourself? Not too bad. I'm uh, I'm excited for this. I'm I'm excited to be able to talk to you about this uh, this topic here. Um, but before we get into it, um, so first of all, where are you tuning in from right now? Um, Austin, Texas area. So okay. we're in the suburbs of Austin. Gotcha. Um, and you, how long have you been, uh, have you been living in the Austin area? Um, just about two years, almost exactly. Mm-hmm. And you li- live with your family there. Is that correct? How many, uh, how, how many kids do you have? Yes. So I'm, I'm married and I have, um, three little boys. Gotcha. All right. And h- how old are they? Just out of curiosity. Um, 13, eight and six years old. Okay, cool. Um, so you, uh, you professionally are in the psychology field, if I understand correctly, but, um, could you give us a little background about, um, about where you're coming from professionally and, uh, some of the things that you've been involved in throughout your career, just to sort of give us a backdrop of this this uh, this topic, which is definitely psychologically uh, uh, or, or directed in a psychological way. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm a licensed psychologist. Um, I'm actually licensed in both um, Ohio and Texas. Um, so for seven and a half years of my career, I worked at a residential treatment facility located in Indiana, um, just outside of the Fort Wayne area. So this was a faith-based organization. Um, and I worked with, um, adolescents who were removed from the home, um, a lot of times mandated by the courts, 
um, to come to us. Um, so these were young people that were struggling with, you know, everything ranging from substance abuse to chronic trauma to, um, you know, different forms of delinquents. Um, so that, that was my, my first major gig in the mental health field. Um, what I'm currently doing now here in Texas is I'm contracting with the Department of Homeland Security um, to provide treatment services for refugees seeking political asylum. So most of whom um, at this particular setting come from Central America. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So um, what's your uh, what's your take working at that um, that facility in Indiana? Um, of of coming at the topic of psychology with the option of um, a faith-based perspective versus a secular perspective of psychology? Um, like are there are there um, good benefits of, of being able to integrate? Um, faith and spirituality into that or or um yeah or or i guess what's what's your perspective of of that experience and and how it might have been different if it was a a secular based institution yeah so the the entire organization was clearly faith-based from you know top to down in and out um you know faith permeated all aspects of what we did um, and the the community, in, in fact, the state itself was actually completely okay with that. Um, so this would probably only happen in the state of Indiana. Um, in, in fact, we were often referred kids specifically because of our, our faith-based um, standards. Um, so, yeah, there, there really wasn't um, a conflict between... Um, using psychology as well as having a faith-based perspective mm-hmm. um, because psychology gave us the tools to um, help help the kids um, recover from some of their emotional and mental wounds and scars, um, but with a faith-based backdrop. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, did, did, the, did the faith-based backdrop like al- allow you to um, go into places and, and explore areas with, with the people who are coming that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to go into? And did, did you find that that was helpful to have that option or, or what was, what was your take on that? Yeah, I would actually say in general, um, not just in that setting, but in general, um, a psychologist that can um, also see things from a spiritual angle, in my opinion, has an advantage because lots of our clients also, um, you know, bring a spiritual interest to the table. Um, so, you know, as psychologists, we do not use treatment sessions to proselytize. Right. Um, that's, you know, highly unethical and that's not what we're there for. Um, but having said that, um, just, just having a spiritual perspective, if that comes up is invaluable. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it seems it, you know. Um, I mean, it's it's another tool in the toolbox, I guess. Um, and so, you know, I... Yeah, I um, don't don't claim to be any authority on metaphysical realities, but um, I from I I understand that that m- many people in life, whether or not they they uh, they choose to live their life um, in such a way that's that's aimed towards some sort of religious truth many people have sort of religious experiences that they're trying to understand and and things that they can't explain and and um i could see working with a uh or working with people to reconcile that and and having the ability to go in a uh uh, in, into the spiritual realm with folks um, would be interesting, nonetheless, and 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 perhaps valuable. And and it seems that you 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 appear to think that it's been valuable. But um, so yeah, so um, we're we're deciding today to talk about the topic of mental health in the Bible. Um, so. What are what are your thoughts on this topic as a whole? And it's it's definitely not something that um, I have heard talked about very frequently, if at all. Um, and so I'm curious as to what your like what the um, the the premise behind this conversation is. Sure. Um- so, you know, there's no way we can go into too much depth um, in this context. Um, there's obviously, a, you know, we could talk the rest of the day about this topic. Um, but I would like to hit a few highlights here. Um, and I think we really need to go back to the beginning. If we're going to talk about, you know, what does the Bible say about mental health? We first kind of need to figure out, well, what, what does the Bible say about the mind? What is the mind? Um, so I think we can literally go to the beginning, um, Genesis. Um, So in Genesis, we see this verse that says that God took the dust of the earth and breathed in the spirit of life and man became a living soul. So if you noticed, there's three different segments to that sentence, three different parts. Um, So as as humans, we consist of three different parts. Um, So for example, God took the dust of the earth. So in other words, Part of what makes us human is our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Part of what part of what constitutes our experience is um, this material reality, which we call our our bodies, right? God took the dust of the earth, but that's not it, because the second segment of the sentence is and breathe in the spirit of life. So part of us is also immaterial or spiritual. Um, so the spirit is the part of what makes us human that comes directly from God. So, so far we have a material component, which is the body. We have an immaterial component, which is the spirit. Um, But that sentence doesn't end. There's another segment there. And man became a living soul. So, as humans, we have the body, we have the spirit, 
But then we have the fusion of the two, right? We, we have this, this mysterious or mystical intersection between the body and the spirit. And the Bible calls that the soul. Um, so, you know, just as a random side note, it shouldn't surprise us that um, we have three parts because God also has three parts, right? God's the Trinity. Right. And we're created in God's image. Um, so it makes sense that we also have three parts. But what is what is this um, this soul? And we we see this this term a lot throughout the the Bible. Um, well, really, um, if you read the word soul in the New Testament, um, almost always, as far as I'm aware, um, in the Greek, the term psyche is used. Well, what does psyche mean? The modern translation of psyche is simply the mind. Right. So as you read through the Bible and you read the word soul, if instead you think of the modern concept of mind, you're actually spot on. Um, so, so basically we have the body, we have the spirit, but then we have the fusion of the two, which is the mind. So what is the soul or the mind all about? What, is, what does it do? Um, well, if you read through the Bible, it's very clear um, that the soul or the mind has three major functions as well. Um, so the mind thinks, feels, and chooses. Um, so in technical terms, the mind has cognition um, or thoughts, um, emotion or feelings, and volition or choices. So those are the three things the mind does, right? Thinks, feels, and chooses. Um, and that's all from the Bible, but that's also um, very consistent with modern psychology. Modern psychology would say the same thing, that, that that's mm -hmm. what the mind does. Um, so, you know, a moment ago I said that the mind is this um, you know, mysterious fusion or intersection between both material and immaterial, and that is still a mystery today. You know, no, no physicist, no psychologist, no psych um, scholar out there can put their <laughs> mind around the mind. Hmm. Um, we know that the mind has a material component, the brain, right? We can see what goes on in the brain and we can see how that relates to different thoughts and feelings and even choices. Um, but we also know that the mind is more than just the material brain. Um, for example, you know, what is a thought? You can't see it, right? but it's there. It's real. You know, mm -hmm. having a thought can actually change your body. And how thoughts come. Yeah. And like, same thing with emotions. Same thing with choices. They're immaterial, but they're real. We know they're real. So once again, the mind is this really um, bizarre <laughs> intersection between material and immaterial that we can't fully understand. Um, so that's kind of a really brief intro into what we mean by the mind. So, you know, throughout this talk, I'll sometimes probably use the word soul, sometimes probably use the word mind, but really, I might, I mean the same thing by both. Um, so, you know, something else we can learn from Genesis is that when God made creation, everything was good, right? We see that repeatedly. He created this and it was good. He created that and it was good. Um, we also read that as humans, we are created in God's image or likeness. So we were also created good. In fact, when God made humans, we were very good. 
So that means that God created all of our emotions. And all of these emotions were good. In fact, very good. Um, and if you read through the Old Testament, um, we see that God has emotions. Right? God is happy. God is sad. God is jealous. God is angry. Um, if you read through the New Testament, Jesus had emotions all the time. The same emotions we have. Um, so it's not like our emotions are bad. Sometimes we have that, that idea as Christians. Um, but there is a glitch here. Um, and that is, there was a fall. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and all three parts of us were affected by the, the fall. Um, so our spirits were affected by the fall, right? There was this major disconnect between us and God. So that wasn't good. Um, our bodies were affected by the fall, right? All of a sudden we had, you know, all of this, this sickness and we started dying and, you know, things weren't working perfectly for our bodies either. Um, so, you know, the material aspect of us was affected by the fall. So was the immaterial aspect. Well, not surprisingly, um, also the intersection between the two. In other words, our minds. Our minds were also affected by the fall, including our emotions. So our emotions were created very good. But um, we can have issues with our emotions because we have fallen. We live in a fallen world from a Christian perspective. So you know, a really good example of what I mean by um, our minds aren't completely what they were originally designed to be is what modern-day psychologists call this negativity bias that we all seem to have, or vast majority of us seem to have. Um, we just we just tend to see things um, and even react emotionally to things more negatively than actual reality. So let me let me give you a few examples of this negativity bias. Um, one example is our brain tends to favor false alarms over no alarms. So let, let me give you some concrete examples of that. So if I'm walking through the woods um, and I see a snake, but I think it's a stick, well, that's no alarm at all. Um, and so I actually um, might die if that's a poisonous snake. But here's the deal. I'm not going to feel any anxiety because um, I think it's a stick. So no anxiety. But if it's poisonous, I'll die. That's no alarm. That's actually not a, that's not a good way to survive. Um, the other option is what if I'm walking through the woods and I see a stick, but I think it's a poisonous snake? Well, I'm going to experience anxiety, but I'll live. So in other words, it's adaptive for us in this fallen world to have a false alarm over a no alarm at all. Right, so I don't, I don't know if I'm making sense with that. What is it that you mean by by one is over the other? <clears throat> okay, so we're kind of wired to have to react to false alarms. Um, we're, we're kind of our, our brain is kind of wired such that we have we're, we're more likely to have a false alarm than no alarm at all. Okay, and that's adaptive right so 
Oh, uh, so what you're saying is the 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 frequency of false alarms is much greater than the frequency of no alarms in sort of yeah. scientific terms. Like yeah, on average for most of us, yeah. You're you're much more likely to to perceive threats that aren't there than you are to miss threats. Absolutely. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. You said that yeah, much much more succinctly than I did. <laughs> so um so once again, if I'm walking through the woods um and I I see um I see a stick, but I think it's a poisonous snake. I will have anxiety because it's a false alarm, right? It, um, it, it's not really a poisonous snake. It's just a stick. But I, I will have adrenaline. I'll have anxiety. I'll, I'll have some kind of reaction to that, mm-hmm. right? That's a false alarm. But that's okay. I'll have anxiety, but I'll live. The flip side, the alternative is, is I'm walking through the, the woods and I see a poisonous snake and instead, I think it's a stick. What's well, no alarm at all? Um, I won't have any anxiety, but I'll probably die. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so we're kind of wired this way. Um, and it, it's adaptive because it helps us survive in a fallen world. But the flip side of that is we have lots of false alarms, right? Lots of reactions to threats that aren't actually there. Um, so that's that's one example of this negativity bias, one example of how we kind of have a fallen mind um, to help us <laughs> with the fallen world. Um, but another example is our brains learn really fast and permanently from negative experiences. But our brains do not learn hardly at all from positive experiences, right? That's why if something negative happens to you, you just remember it sometimes for life, um, that's actually why we have disorders called PTSD. Mm. But on the other hand, um, if we're going to learn something positive, it only comes through repetition over and over and over. Right? Something that's neutral or positive, you only learn from repetition. Something that's negative just has, has to happen once, and you learn it. So in other words, we overlearn negative, negative experiences. Um, so some practical examples of this, I mean, just think of – um, you know, how many, how many, um, insults does it take to wipe out many compliments? Well, just one, <laughs> right? I mean, and you know, the flip side of that is how many compliments does it take to wipe out one insult? You know, many, sometimes there's never enough, right? That's, that's why sometimes people hold grudges for life, right? Just you know, one negative thing can just overshadow many things that are positive. Um, in fact, you know, another really good example of this, this negativity bias um, is that marriage experts tell us that in healthy marriages, you have to have on average about 20 positive interactions for every negative interaction. That's how strong that negativity bias is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, marriage experts say that w- when a healthy couple is in conflict, you still have to have about five positive interactions to one negative. That's when you're in conflict, right? For a healthy marriage to work well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from a biblical perspective, we, we see this negativity bias show up 
um, all the time. Just think of how many times in the Bible we see the phrase, fear not. Um, I actually started counting that recently, and I lost count, but it was over 60. Right? You see that repeatedly in the Bible. So why, why does God and Jesus and the angels and you know, others, why are they constantly saying things like, fear not, to God's people? It's just because it's it's our natural reaction to life, right? Because of this negativity bias. Um, but when we see that phrase in the Bible, um, I don't take that phrase to mean, you know, God is telling us, "Oh my goodness, don't be such a wimp, don't be a sissy." Would you just like, you know, man up and get some courage here? I, I don't see God using the phrase that way in the Bible. When I see the phrase "fear not." I see a nurturing father figure that's saying, come here to daddy. It's okay. I know it's scary out there, but you're safe here. So in other words, you know, the exhortation to fear not, it's not like um, you're such a bad sinner. Um, repent of this fear. <laughs> right. Or, you know, I'll give you something to cry about if you don't stop crying. Um I don't see the phrase fear not that way because if, if that's how God was coming across, we would have even more dysfunctional fear, right? God, God's, God's encouragement to fear not is just that. It's an encouragement to, to seek refuge in him, not an angry lecture to get whipped into shape. Um, I mean, just to be clear, um, the Bible does address lots of sin issues we are depraved but the fear not i i i don't know this maybe it's just my opinion but um i i know christians that struggle with anxiety and then they say this they see the phrase fear not and they become even more fearful mm-hmm. because they say oh see i am so fearful and the bible tells me that fear not and it, it just triggers even more of an anxiety loop um so you know, while we're on this topic of of, of sin and, and, you know, strong emotions, so um, I think this question comes up a lot with, with Christians. Um, is it sinful to have strong emotions or negative emotions? And the answer is no. Throughout the Old Testament, we can read many examples of when men and women of God experienced extreme anxiety or depression or anger. Right, those emotions themselves are not sinful. Um, you know, think of Elijah, who was on the brink of suicide at one point. He was profoundly depressed. Um, think of, you know, Psalm twenty-three. Um, I, I love this phrase: "Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death." If you just think of those words, "valley," "shadow," and "death," those are all depression words. Right? Those are words we use to describe depression. Mm-hmm. Um. So David, if you read through all the Psalms, you clearly get the example. He, str- he struggled at times with depression or anxiety um, or anger. Um, now, let's fast forward to the, the New Testament. Did Jesus experience anger or anxiety or depression? Yes, he did. Um, so, for example, when he cast out the money chambers in the temple, right, Pretty clear example of, of anger. Um, did Jesus experience anxiety? Well, when he was in Gethsemane, 
sweating drops of blood. Um, I can't think of um, anything that would be a better example of extreme anxiety than that. So was Jesus sinning when he had all this anxiety? Um, I mean, that, that's kind of ludicrous. Um, did Jesus experience depression? Well, when he was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't think of any more depre- anything more depressing than, than that, right? To, be, to feel abandoned from the Father that you were united with eternally. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, in my opinion, it would be blasphemous to imply that Jesus was sinning when he had those emotions. They're human emotions. It's part of the human condition. Um, in fact, think of it this way. How could Jesus be our high priest right, or advocate if he didn't know what those emotions are like, right? Mm-hmm. He can perform that role precisely because he has experienced our human emotions, including extreme emotions. Um, now, what's really fascinating to me is in Timothy, there's this, this verse that says that um, there's one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. And he's referring to Jesus now in heaven, but he uses the term the man Christ Jesus. So in other words, Jesus in heaven still has his his human qualities, his human characteristics. And really, how else could he be the mediator if he didn't? Right? So Jesus still has these emotions along with us. Right? I, I think that's a beautiful picture. When you're anxious, you know, think of Jesus empathizing with that anxiety. Right? Experiencing that anxiety along with us. Mm-hmm. Right, so that he can mediate for us. Um, so, of course, in um, so my, my my point here is the, the Bible is clear that people of faith, even the heroes of faith, in fact, even Jesus himself, will sometimes struggle with emotions. Right, that does not mean you're a bad Christian; it means you're a human. Um, but of course, in James, we read this principle of be angry and sin not. Um, and I think that principle can apply to all of our emotions. Have the emotion. There's nothing wrong with the emotion. But we are responsible for what we do with those emotions, you know, by God's grace. Um, so, you know, a, a question that tends to come up in Christian circles, you know, based on a, a verse in Corinthians, people will say, yeah, but... You know, aren't we new creatures in Christ Jesus, right? Old things have passed away. All things are new. In other words, we're, we're new creatures. You shouldn't have anxiety anymore, depression anymore. You're new, right? You should just believe. Well, um, <clears throat> not quite that simple. Um, let, let's go back to those, those three parts we have as humans, right? Remember, we have a body, which is material. We have a spirit, which is immaterial and we have the solar mind which is kind of that intersection of the both um well in in the bible especially in the new testament especially paul's writings a lot of times we use we see the word the term flesh um and you know a lot of times we we think well flesh you know that's just referring to our physical body right our our blood our organs our guts whatever well, how, how Paul uses the term flesh, it's actually referring to both our body and our mind. That's both the flesh in contrast to the spirit, which is only completely immaterial. Well, the Bible is pretty clear that the flesh is, nev- is not converted. 
right? So even if you have a saving faith in Jesus, what that means is that your spirit has been redeemed, right? Your, your spirit has been regenerated. Your spirit is now in union with God. But we still have the same body and mind. Um, so yes, the mind is renewed when it's brought under the power of the spirit, but we still have the same basic mind. So for example, you know, if I am paralyzed waist down before I'm a believer, well, chances are I'll still be paralyzed waist down after I'm a believer, right? Our body doesn't physically change just because we're a believer. Um, if I have, um, bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, or obsessive compulsive disorder before I'm a believer. Well, guess what? I'm probably probably still going to struggle with those things after becoming a believer, right? Because the body and the mind are still part of this this fallen world, and those components aren't fully redeemed until the resurrection, right? That, that's what the body. That's what the Bible teaches, right? We're not going to have new bodies until the resurrection. Um, so, you know, that's precisely why Paul frequently talks about this struggle between, you know, the spirit and the flesh, the spirit and the flesh. So just because you're a Christian, that doesn't mean you're no longer going to have struggles of the mind. Um, so, you know, practically speaking, what, what does this mean for the, the believer? Well, if you have a problem with your body, you, you might need to go to the doctor, right? You might need to consult with a medical professional. If you have a problem with your mind, you might need to consult with a mental health professional. Um, if you have a problem with your spirit, there's only one option. You need a savior, mm-hmm. right? It, it, to me, it's, it's fascinating that, um, you know, Jesus – didn't come as a medical doctor. He did lots of miracles healing, um, but that was to prove that he had even, even greater power. Um, you know, if, if our biggest problem had been with our physical bodies, God would have sent a medical doctor. That's it. Um, or if our biggest problem was the mind, God would have sent, um, a psychologist, Wow, the world would have really been messed up if, if that had been the case. <laughs> um, but our biggest problem wasn't the body or the mind. The biggest problem is we have a spirit that is in disunion with God. And so that's why God sent a Savior, right, to restore a relationship with God. And when our relationship is restored with God, um, our bodies and our minds will be in better shape, but they're still not going to be perfect until the resurrection. Um, you know, I actually, I did my entire doctoral thesis on the topic of religious and spiritual coping. And what decades of research shows um, just across the board, um, you take any, any medical disorder, any psychological disorder, and basically... Regardless of the disorder, um, spiritual coping in most forms of religious coping will help. It helps symptoms. Mm -hmm. But you still have symptoms. 
right? So if you struggle with anxiety, um, you are better off with some kind of spiritual coping or many forms of religious coping, not all forms. Some forms of religious coping are actually, will make, actually make the problem worse. Um, <clears throat> so you are better off with some kind of faith, some kind of understanding of the spiritual dimension. But guess what? You'll probably still struggle with anxiety. Right? Just because we believe doesn't take away all the problems of the body or the mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, here's something that I've been, uh, or, or an idea that I've been thinking about lately is that, you know, the the concept of believing um, like in and of itself, like can't really do that. It it can't because because believing, I think, is not some sort of like spiritual enlightenment. You know, like the 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 idea of having faith, like there's always some sort of uncertainty there, um, and that's why it's that's why it's faith and and the the scriptures um the the scriptures encourage that having faith despite the fact that there is uncertainty there um and so you know like i in in my own life as i'm i'm struggling with things and 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 dealing with doubts in my life i'm i'm coming to the conclusion that that it's it's at the essence of faith to to have some degree of doubt you know because it's not a a it's not the same thing as a material reality um and so you know if like i i've i've probably met folks as as you have who who you know think oh that's just silly that you're dealing with that you just need to you just need to believe or you just need to 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 shape up um but it's it's sort of at, at the essence of our um uh of of the the christian faith is is the faith it's the thing that's not completely certain but it's a choice to to pursue those things um so yeah, I, I I'm I'm getting where you're coming from here with with the the sort of disconnect between uh, um, between the emotional aspects of ourselves and and how they're uh, you said it quite clearly there that that a faith a faith helps but it doesn't necessarily you know patch up the ship. Um, to uh, to to uh, the to to perfect restored order, let's say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so going back to that verse in Corinthians, when when that verse says we are new creatures, what does that mean? It means our spirit has been redeemed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we all of a sudden have brand new bodies and brand new minds. No, we don't. If we did, there wouldn't be the struggle that we have. Yeah, no, and I, I totally agree with your your definition of faith. Um, I, I have, um, you know, just in full disclosure, I am wired to be very skeptical. Uh, it's just my I wiring. Am as well. Um, and um, 
you know, the, the definition of faith that I, I use in my own personal life is it's when we are, we are willing to recognize the preponderance of evidence. And really, that's a standard we use in our own court system. So mm-hmm. God does not expect anything from us beyond what's just a basic human standard. Right? In, in the court of law, you can be convicted based on a preponderance of evidence. And God gives us a preponderance of evidence. He gives us more, more than enough evidence to believe if we're willing to see the evidence. But he doesn't give us all the evidence. Right? If he did, the Bible is clear that's not faith. Mm-hmm. It's, it's when we're willing to accept the evidence that's there, but also willing to accept the uncertainty that we don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, to, to bring this back to a practical level, you know, what, so what, what can we do if, if um, we see someone that we know or love that's, that's struggling maybe with issues of the mind or with emotions? Um, the Bible does give us some pretty clear direction. The, the first thing that we should not do is never assume that because someone is suffering more than you, that they must not be as faithful as you, or they're not as spiritual as you, or they don't believe in God as much as you. Um, if you think about it, that was precisely the error of Job's friends. Um, and just think of how many times as Christians we fall into that trap. You know, I... Growing up, I heard um, denigrating comments a lot about people that struggled with mental health mm-hmm. um, and depression in particular. You know, what's wrong with that person? What, they, they just need to get their act together. They just need to shape up. They just, you know, why, why can't they just believe? You know, <laughs> the implication is they're, they're not as spiritual as I am. Yeah, that, that's a pretty bad mistake. Um, yeah, jo- Job's friends were, were not commended in the Bible for having that attitude. Um, and that's why Jesus taught us don't judge that that's, you know, with all due respect, that's not, that's not your prerogative. Um, so what, what should we do instead of that? Well, Thessalonians gives us a very clear direction. It says comfort the feeble minded, right? Encourage, strengthen, doesn't say berate, reprimand, castigate, you know, Um, comfort the feeble-minded. Mm-hmm. It, it's a completely different approach than than sometimes what we take as as believers. You know, sometimes we can be pretty good at shooting our own wounded. Mm-hmm. I so so to to play devil's advocate here on on the the idea of of um taking someone who is uh, or essentially sh- showing compassion on someone who is who is struggling um, it's it's my understanding that um, that the way that from from a psychological perspective the way that you um, get people to be able to cope with their fears um, is through, exposure therapy um and by by essentially at particular doses exposing them to the things that they're afraid of to uh to gradually build courage in their life to 
um, to be able to confront the things that they're afraid of. So, you know, I, I, I'm taking your, your point about, about having compassion on, on people who are struggling, but there's this other thing too, I think from, from, uh, from the perspective of the mind that is, that is more along the lines of tough love. Right. And, and so, so how, how does that play into, uh, to let's say mental health as a whole and and um and taking people who are let's say you know well not necessarily less spiritual per your point that you just made people who are struggling with particular things but but people who are not let's maybe not as capable as they could be mentally um how, how does how does that sort of tough love aspect um f- fit into the um to to the equation yeah no that that's a great point so um yeah so does comfort the feeble-minded can that include um the concept of tough love and the answer is absolutely yes mm-hmm. um and so you bring up a, a really good point, even from you know secular psychology. So you know the whole idea of prolonged exposure—that um, is a technique that is used to treat um, phobias. Um, it can be used to treat OCD. It can be used to treat um, even do trauma work sometimes. Um, but the key, so just just to follow along with your your example of secular psychology. Um, regardless of what strategy or technique you're using, and by the way, prolonged exposure is just one of probably thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless of what strategy you're using, the most important key active ingredient in secular psychology is actually the therapeutic alliance. So in other words, the rapport you have with the client. Mm. So if you have a strong rapport with the client, then yes, prolonged exposure can work really well. Mm-hmm. But that's because they're anchored in a relationship in which they feel safe and not judged. Mm-hmm. Right? If I'm doing prolonged exposure, so I'm incrementally, in- incrementally um, helping someone acclimate or desensitize you know, to increasing amounts of discomfort – but I'm on the sides the whole time saying, you are such a wimp. Oh, my goodness. Are you serious? Like, you're, you're scared of that spider? Like, that spider is so harmless. Like, we're, we haven't even hardly started treatment yet, and you're already terrified. What, what a loser. <laughs> yeah, I'm being facetious here. But you see how prolonged exposure is not going to work. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, there is a time and place for tough love. Absolutely. But it still has to come from a position of, security and trust mm-hmm. um and, and so all those principles apply to to the spiritual realm too with believers mm-hmm. right when we practice tough love it needs to come from a place of safety and insecurity and that's how that's how jesus treats us mm-hmm. yeah for sure so I don't know if that answered your. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. I mean, you know, yeah. The the short answer is it does. So, and, and there's many there's many Bible verses I could have thrown out. The, the one the, the only reason I, I um I decided to 
to choose comfort to feeble-minded is because I feel like um, some of us Christians aren't, aren't following that verse. Mm-hmm. Our, our approach to someone that's feeble-minded is um, we think it's tough love, but we're, we're missing the, mm-hmm. um, the element of acceptance and, and safety and security. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and, that, that therapeutic alliance, to use a secular term. Right. And, you know, to, to your point, it's not like the, the, the quote unquote tough love, um, that, that we were just talking about is, is outside the bounds of, of comforting the feeble minded. Um, so it's, it's not like I was, uh, um, trying, trying to refute that necessarily. I was just interested in the, in the, in the concept, uh, in the concept at large, because oh, all, um, amongst other things, I have a natural tendency towards, towards or away from compassion, um, in in the way that my brain is wired. I'm sort of more of a, a tough love kind of guy, um, and and so I'm s- struggling to some degree to learn how to reconcile that with with. Um, uh, with what what the scriptures say and and i think that there is there is an alignment um to to a certain degree and and i'm learning that to to your point that if if i'm approaching it with a with an overarching uh um an overarching theme of love um out of principle well to to um to go back to your your uh your facetious comments there about about the person bashing like that's tough but that's not love yeah you know yeah. and yeah. so i'm i'm learning how to to try and integrate the love aspect into my uh uh in, into my interactions not not necessarily that i've ever done what what you were talking about there but um but uh learning to act in such a way that is that is true and good, even though I have, um, I have that sort of, uh, that sort of bias in my own mind towards sure. how I, how, how I generally act towards people. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as a psychotherapist, if I'm coming from a place of empathy and validation and reassurance and acceptance, I now can also challenge and confront and mm-hmm. point out someone's inconsistencies and how they're not even living up to their own standards and how they're contradicting themselves, right? So it, um, they both go together. Mm-hmm. But that, that confrontation and the challenging can never happen effectively if I don't first have the foundation of empathy and validation and reassurance. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, so, you know, you originally asked about what does the Bible say about mental health, so that was my Cliff Notes version. Um, each of these themes could have been much further developed mm-hmm. at length with many other Bible verses. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I didn't have anything in, in particular else that I wanted to, um, uh, th- that I wanted to touch on, and that was, well, that that was one question that I had. In, in particular, about the the sort of balance between, um, uh, let's say, nurturing compassion and and tough love, um, um, 
Yeah. If, if you didn't have anything else, we can wrap up here. Um, okay. So you, you have, uh, you have a blog. Um, it, as I understand, my dad actually just sent me over one of your blog posts earlier this morning that I, uh, I have to read here. So can you, uh, can you tell folks who may be listening here, uh, about your blog and, and what you're trying to do there and how people can connect to it? Yep. So I have a website. Um, it's currently going to be going under some reconstruction soon, but on that website, I do have some blogs. Um, and each of the blogs is actually a sample from from a workbook, a self-help workbook that was just published this month um, through New Harbinger. It's um, it's a it's a trauma workbook. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've experienced any kind of trauma in your life, um, it's pretty much um, self-guiding. You can work your way through it on your own. Or probably best if you do it in conjunction with. Um, a mental health professional. Um, but anyway, each of my blogs is kind of a sample from that workbook. So um, you, you can learn a lot just from the blogs blogs themselves. Um, but if you need further context, there's also a whole workbook that goes along with them. Mm-hmm. And what, what's the website that that's at? Um, DrKirbyReuter.com. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll link to that in the description of the, of the podcast here. Um, I do have one question about folks that may be listening and and considering um, considering seeking professional help for for whatever um, mental uh, mental things that they're dealing with. Um, do you have any any resources that you can um, uh, that you can suggest to people who may be looking for a more faith based approach to to uh, uh, to to mental health and and would be inclined to do that. Um, is there is there any good good reputable websites or or uh, uh, other other resources that that folks would be able to go to um, that they might find a professional in their area that that would be able to cater to their uh, um, to their faith based perspe- perspective. Um, yeah, I can't think of, of anything specific, um, kind of, kind of depends on, you know, what specifically you're struggling with, mm-hmm. but here's the deal. There, there are, um, you know, Christian counselors probably in every, every major community. Mm-hmm. Um, but furthermore, um, all, all counselors and all psychologists, we are trained, um, to be respectful of other people's um, faith perspectives, um, and to leverage your pers- your client's perspective, not your own. Um, so even if you go to a completely secular therapist, they, they're supposed to be sensitive to your, your religious spiritual beliefs. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't always happen, but they're supposed to be. Right. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, if you would feel more comfortable with someone that shares your, your, um, you know, your general worldview, then, um, there are counselors out there that do that. And, mm-hmm. um, just a simple Google search of Christian counselor, you should be able to come up with something some, in your area. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, um, 
Yeah. Thanks a lot for, uh, for the topic here today, Kirby. I appreciate it. And, uh, uh, I hope that this isn't the last time. Yeah. Likewise, Lucas, thanks for inviting me. And I really do hope I, I can come back someday. All right. Great. All right. Thanks everyone for listening and appreciate it. Yep. Bye. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about Kirby and the work that he does, uh, you ought to go over to that website that he was talking about. Again, that's drkirbyreuter.com. That's K-I-R-B-Y-R-E-U-T-T-E-R. And he has links in there to the blog that he was talking about as well as the workbook that he was talking about. Um, If you want to get in contact with him, there's also... uh, Uh, a portal for that Um, so go check that out if you feel inclined if you're enjoying the content that we're producing here uh, be sure to hit the subscribe and or follow button uh, on your listening mechanism of choice Um, if you're listening on uh, on Spotify big shout out I just got this up on Spotify so I'll make sure to, and uh, try and let folks know that that's uh, that's up and running now um, so be sure to follow uh, like and subscribe to from the pew and this content will come right to you big thanks again for listening in appreciate it and hope to see you next time ciao